We're, we're, we're in a series about humility. This is week four. I would encourage you, if you have not you know, heard the other weeks, to take some time, jump online, grab the podcast, go watch the, the videos on YouTube or on our, our app to catch up with this. Uh, we, we, when I do a series, uh, I, I do always treat it like that, like a series that builds upon one building upon the next. And so oftentimes I do these giant recaps because I, I genuinely want to make sure that if you're sitting in here and maybe it's your first time or if you have missed a week or two, then you know and you can catch up so you don't kind of go, oh, you know, I, I feel like uh, there's an inside joke and I don't get it. I missed something. I don't want that for anybody that's choosing to engage. And so I, I, I'm going to do a quicker recap uh, because it's week four, but I really want everyone to know that you can, you can jump in and find it. Also, uh, Jared and I do a podcast every week called The Rest, and uh, it's, it's the rest of the message where we take the message that I'm talking about and we, we just kind of talk about all the other pieces and parts and we extrapolate more and we kind of dig in deeper. And so you can jump on. There's about 200 people uh, minimum a week that kind of jump in and, and use that as a supplement to the messaging. So, you know, if you're a podcast person, it's usually 30 minutes and you can just make it part of your midweek you know, routine on Thursday, you say, okay, I'm going to catch up and listen to 30 minutes of uh, more of what we talked about on Sunday. So you kind of get, get that uh, reminder in the middle of the week and, and even more. And so with humility, uh, a topic that we all know about, we think about as part of our lives, it's something that we could really do. Uh, I mean, we could spend an entire year focusing on the necessity the challenges and the scriptural direction and vision for, for and of humility. It is just a constant need in our lives and it is a process that never ends in terms of attaining it. And so um, one of the things we've talked about in week one is humility is not only for infancy, it is, it is our destiny because humility is not something we just start with. It's actually who and what we're becoming in the world. When we grow up and become mature, then we don't suddenly just become humble and then we don't have to work on it anymore. It's a constant reality and need of growth in our lives. So uh, God's picture for us in the scriptures is that we are over time being transformed into beings of love and that love and being a being of love is our destiny. And that is synonymous with humility. So as we get older, we will become more mature and we will become more humble. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Usually those that, you know, probably have a little to be uh, proud about or prideful about, if you will, uh, they're not. The, they're the ones that have learned what humility is. And then usually the ones who, who need to be quiet and humble themselves are the ones that kind of prop themselves up. The younger ones, the ones that kind of are, you know, trying to become something and feel like they have to put on that, uh, you know, veneer in order to be whatever it is they think that, that is important. But humility is a process that we grow through. It's something that we're becoming. And the way that we get to humility in the most uh, broad sense is through reality. Uh, reality leads to humility. The reality of the nature of the world that God created. 
The world that God made, when we understand it and see it as it is, as the scriptures uh, laid out for us, when we understand who God is and who we are and where we fit in that, then we will become humble beings. And there are attitudes and actions that come with that reality. When we see that reality, we see there's a space for us in that reality to occupy. And actually, the Hebrew word uh, in the Old Testament uh, for humility is a word that's pronounced in the Hebrew, anava, and it actually means to occupy your God-given space in the world to occupy your space in the world. Oftentimes when we think about humility, our kind of reaction is, or our our first thought might be to to become smaller or to become less. And, And that's apropos because oftentimes we are prideful. We're too full of ourselves or we think higher of ourselves than we ought to. The scriptures warn us not to think of ourselves higher than we ought to. And that's prideful. And that's the danger, right? That humans do that. So we, we kind of automatically shrink back and go, okay, I need to get smaller. But humility in its most pure form and definition is not to just shrink back, but to, to occupy the appropriate space it's, it's knowing the reality of God and knowing where you fit in that reality and fully embodying and occupying that space. That's a humble thing to do. No one is upset with you if you're in a position that maybe they don't think you're worthy of, regardless of what they may think. If you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're in the spot you're supposed to be, then that's, that's appropriate. That's not arrogant. That's not, you know, that's not uh, kind of self-loathing or self-demeaning. That is as appropriate. And so that is what humility means, is to occupy the appropriate space. We know that when we see the reality of God. Knowing what the Bible says and what it means is so important. This is is critical. We live in a, in a, a season right now of the church where... Uh, the, the concept, the reality of people deconstructing their faith is very hot right now. People taking what they grew up with and the scriptures that they learned and what it meant in the subcultures or churches that they grew up in. You know, maybe they had, you know, um, a narcissistic pastor that really hurt them. And so they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Or maybe they, um, they were in a, a tradition that was extremely legalistic is a word that's used, you know, very rule-driven, very uh, punitive, very, uh, you know, judgmental. Uh, maybe it was, you know, if you, you can't drink or smoke or whatever, you can't, you can't uh, do any of those things. And if you do, you're judged and you lived in that culture. Maybe you were in a culture that was uh, way too loose or whatever. And it just like, it just celebrated exploits and whatever. And so whatever, whatever it might be, you might be looking back and go, you know, now that I'm taking my time, I am going to try to understand what the scriptures actually mean, you know, what they say. And so in, in the world of humility, it was growing up, you know, it was just the, the idea was that, that I grew up in a lot of times was, you know, just become nothing, like fall away, like shrink away. You know, you're too bright, you're too shiny. Like some of the sentiments were to take the theology about the nature of humans and that were fallen and just be like, that's your primary identity. You're nothing. 
You're nothing before God. Because there's passages that talk about, you know, our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. And, you know, that um, if you've fallen short of one sinner, you, you break one law, it's as if you've broken them all, or all of us like sheep have gone astray. And those are ideas that are true in the sense that they are theologically accurate about our, you know, um, but who we are to God and our standing with God as human beings because of sin. But they do not fully define who humans are and what it means for us to live in this world. So oftentimes when we mistranslate things and you can take this across the board, then what happens is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I wanna encourage you is to not do that, but to continue to go back to the text and not just memorize scriptures, understand the meaning of the text, understand what God is saying, what he's up to, what the story is, because it's not going to actually um, wreck your sense sensibilities. You're going to be, I think, appropriately uh, excited about what the scriptures actually have to say about humans. And I think that you're going to find that when we continue to, um, what the Bible teaches is to rightly divide the word of truth and understand the meaning, the message of the scriptures to, to read it, not just literally, but literately, Right, then we, when we do that, we understand what the author was saying and what it means. It might change some theological ideas of the background that we have, but it's not going to throw out the most important pieces of what it means to, to be human and who God is and how great he is. It's going to just crystallize that and make it all that more exciting. So again, if you have the past, you don't throw it up. It's important to understand what people really mean when they write things and when they say things. It reminds me of a, of a, a little story of just misinterpretation that was handed to me uh, earlier this week. This is a story about a little old lady, all right? There was a nice lady that was a little old-fashioned, uh, and she was looking for to go on a week's vacation at a particular campground but she wanted to make sure the accommodations fit first. Uppermost in her mind were, of course, the facilities, but she couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in the letter. After considerable deliberation, she settled on bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, it still sounded too forward. So she rewrote the letter to the campground and referred to the bathroom commode as the BC. Uh, she wrote down, actually, does the campground have its own BC? The campground owner was baffled by the inquiry for a BC. So he showed the letter around to several campers, but they couldn't decipher it either. Finally, the campground owner figured she must be referring to the location of the local Baptist church. So he sat down and he wrote, Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but now take the pleasure in informing you that a BC is located nine miles north of the campground and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away uh, if you are in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that the great, a great number of people take their lunches along with them and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. 
The last time my wife and I went up was six years ago and it was so crowded we had to stand the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there is a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They're going to hold it in the basement of the BC. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely no lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come to our campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time, sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. Remember, this is a very friendly community. Avana, <laughs> it means a specific thing. When we don't understand what something means, it changes the nature of our lives. It changes the nature of the way we communicate with people. It changes the nature of the way we see ourselves. And so it's so important not to settle, but don't throw it all out. Keep looking, right? Because I mean, the breakdown that can happen. Imagine someone goes their whole life and they understand humility, meaning you don't matter. You, you don't matter. Humble yourself. You're trying to matter too much. I think there are people in the church that feel a sense of shame. They feel like, I need to shrink. I need to be less. I'm not important. I don't have a voice. I don't matter. That's not humility. Humility is, is not, you're not important. Humility is, you occupy your appropriate spot in the nature of God's created order. The idea is that, that you don't squeeze others out, but you also don't disappear. Right, And so this is an important aspect as we're thinking about how we become humble. When we think about taking up our space in the world, this is an interesting dialogue to have. This is an interesting filter to kind of look through this week as you're going through life. Ask yourself the question, do I take up space? Just, just kind of process that. So when you come into the room, how much space do you take up? Right? Are you, are you too loud? Do you take up more? Do you kind of pull all of the attention onto you? Do, you? do you make it all about you? What kind of space do you take up in the world and why? You know, do, do you feel all the eyes are on you? Do you feel that type of thing? I want you to ask somebody, how much space do I take up? You know, and they may go, what do you mean space? Like, I don't know, like my presence is what we're talking about. My presence, my sense of who I am. And ask them, do I take up, what kind of space do I take up? And if they say, I feel, you know, it, it's appropriate. Okay, good, good to know. But you might, you might have someone say, you, you take up a lot of space, man. You, you're, you're loud, you're, you, you know, you, you fill the space, you have a lot to say, you know, and, and maybe it's not all your fault, like for a lot of people kind of like turn the attention to you, but you, you, you love that, you kind of feed on that, you know, so when, they, when, when you kind of take center stage, they kind of feed into that and, and it just kind of becomes this growing monster. Maybe um, you're the kind of person that's like, I know I don't take up space, I disappear, and so you already know that you don't need to ask people if you take up space because they'd be like, dude, you like act like you don't even, you're not even here. It's like, you, you know, you could, you could probably take up some more space. I, I, for, for either one of those, I, I remember 
had a friend about uh, 20 years ago um, and uh, was in the context of ministry. And uh, in one of the meetings, you know, I was young and I was excited and I thought I knew what I was talking about, if you could imagine this. And I couldn't help myself, right? It was like, oh, I have ideas and oh, I wanna share this. And yet I'm sitting around with all these people who have been in the ministry, you know, 20 years more than me. And I'm, I'm the one taking up the space. And I had a friend say to me, and this is a true friend, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He said to me, you need to dial it back like to about a, like a, a four on the Joel meter. You need to dial it back. And that's a, that was an important thing. It's like just to know that, you know, maybe your, your stature takes up space. Maybe your position takes up space. When you start to just speak and make it all about you, man, that can be overwhelming. You have to start to know this so you can occupy your appropriate space. Your appropriate space is understanding the reality of God. There is who God is and who you are and your, your peers. You have to think through this stuff. Who in this room is my peer organizationally? Who in this room, you know, is my authority? Who's a subordinate in terms of the organization? Where do I fit and how much space should I take up? For some people, you need to take up more space. You know, you, you need to really take up space. Like, you have a voice. Use your voice. Where's your voice? You got something to say. And if you're afraid to take up space, there's probably a reason for that. And you need to go down that uh, trail of crumbs. I'm afraid to say anything. Why? Maybe you were never encouraged. Maybe you didn't learn how to dis discourse with people. Maybe in your family, you were the one that was the left behind. You were the, you know, the middle kid that just kind of disappeared. And so you're afraid to say something, but you know you have things to say. You're afraid to do it. You know, it could be that that omission is moving you off of the glory of God. That like you have, you have something to offer and you need to use your voice. Some people feel they don't matter for whatever reason and you, gotta, you need to make a decision. You gotta believe that you do matter. You gotta stand up tall, put your shoulders back. You know, just that act right there, it changes the way you feel chemically in your body. Just to, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my shoulders back. It makes you feel stronger, makes you feel more full. Are you aware of these things? Because to be humble is to take your God-given space in the world. Uh, for some of us, we need to try something new, right? You need to step out. You need to push forward a little bit and occupy some more space, take over some more ground. Go for it a little bit. For me, it was always like, dial back, dial back, you know, I, I, if I, I have to, if someone asks me a question about my life, like if I'm not, you know, with close friends or something like that, I have to be mindful and make sure that I ask a question back. What about you? What, what's going on in your life? I mean, I have to do that. I'm mindful of that. I don't want to be taking up someone else's space. That's when you're actually crossing, crossing boundaries. And that's when you ruin relationships. It's too much. Sometimes it's too little. You know, you have these neighbors, right? People live next to you. You got some that you've never seen before. 
You're like, where are they? Come out, put up some lights. You know, like, are you there? Like, are you alive? Like, I, do you, your dog is in there. I've never seen you. Like, whatever, you know? But then some people, it's just like, they're always in your yard. They're always coming across. Neighbors, it, being good neighbors is about understanding your appropriate space in the world. That's what a good neighbor is. It doesn't mean, you know, some people want to cross the boundary because they fear a lack of intimacy. So they want to get closer. And then when the person says, dude, you're in my yard, they think, what, you don't want me to be your neighbor? You're already my neighbor. You're just in my yard, right? Like you, you can have a fence and have a good, healthy relationship. If you go over the yard in, in the fence all the time, you're, you're, you're pushing the boundaries. It's like, dude, this is my yard. We can be neighbors, but don't sleep on my porch, Right? The same thing is true for both. Try something new. Take up more space. For some people that don't take up much space, you need to learn to say no. That's a way of taking up space. That's a boundary that you've got to set. You have an appropriate space in the world. You matter. You're valuable to God. And so if someone is encroaching upon your space all the time and you feel like, oh, you know, like I just am always overwhelmed with, I feel like I have to say yes. I feel like I'm a doorman. I feel like whatever. There's a time for you to go, no, no. So let's talk more about our God-given space in the world. How do we fill the space? You know, if you were thinking about a house or a room or a building, that you were going to decorate, you know, and you were going to put the appropriate pieces of furniture in that building, what would you put in? You know, there's a way to overdo it. <laughs> you know, you could just overdo it. And then there's this simplicity and beauty thing, or you can just have, there's not enough here. We just have a chair, you know, like we need more, like a college dorm or something. And you can, you can say, this is done well, or this is, this is off. How do you fill up the space appropriately and therefore be humility, be a humble, be a humble uh, imager of God. Uh, taking up our God-given space, it is part of the first two weeks that we talked about. We're, we're made to live in submission to God. That's, that's, a, that's a first qualifier of me taking up my space. Okay, so I always am submission to God. That puts me in a specific spot in the world. I submit to God. I obey God. I follow God. God is my authority. There, that's an appropriate spot. Now, the next one is that we're creatures of progress. Uh, human beings have the attitude that they're in a specific spot. They're aware of where they are, but they know that they can grow. So they have an attitude of growth. That's the second thing. I know that I'm not all I could become. I've grown and I have more to grow in. And so it's not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm better than everybody. I've got it all figured out. It's I am on a personal journey of growth and I'm focused on my growth and I'm not spending all the time showing you where you are and how you need to grow up and where you fall short. I am humbly focusing not on how great I am or how great I can be, but genuinely looking at the important areas of my life in submission to God where I need to grow. How can I be a better father? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better teacher? How can I be a better coworker? How can I grow? I know there's room for improvement. A person who believes that they have room for improvement will always come across as a humble individual because they see themselves and the space they occupy and they know there's an accurate view there. 
So there's an identity and an activity that I think I, I, I was thinking about how to summarize and pull this all together so that we could kind of move forward with what is the, what is the most helpful thing, Joel, you could tell me about how to occupy the space that is the world, to put up the appropriate amount of furniture in the world so that I move forward and I'm in a humble pattern in my life. So I, I, I oversimplified this, as you do, but uh, I want you to think of it as railroad tracks. And so we're headed in a direction, right? We're headed forward and there is a direction that we're headed. It's, it's kind of the pinnacle. It's the activity that we're driving towards right? And then there are two rails that make that possible. And so we're going to talk about three things that make up that the direction that we're headed, the specific activity, like if I move into the space and this is on my mind, then I am going to be humble. I'll have the humble attitude. And the two things that move me into that space with the appropriate mindset are these first two things that I'm going to talk about. The first one, the first one, and this is about identity and activity. It drives, it, it, it kind of mixes it all together. The first thing that everyone has to know about their identity, which leads to an activity, is that they are, we are all saints. We are saints. In the New Testament, we're called saints. Follow, now, this is followers of Jesus are called saints, all right? Now, a lot of people don't like that translation because the word actually is holy ones, you see, Christians, those that are followers of Christ, are holy ones. We are the ones that have um, been imparted the spirit of the living God. He dwells inside of us so that we become self-portraits of God and we image who God is to the world around us. You are a self portrait of God. Occupy your space. You're a self-portrait. Get, get in your mind what, what a self-portrait is, right? Or if you think about those art classes where there's a subject sitting up there, and then you have a bunch of different people drawing the subject, right? So God is the subject, and then different artists, he comes along and actually, he's like, painting himself, and he paints you. You're the portrait that is a reflection of the subject. And what a beautiful image that is in terms of who you and I really are. We're the holy ones of God. We are the ones that are designed to, when, when people flip and look at us, they go, that is a reflection. That's what image bearer means. We reflect who God is and do what God does into the world. The beautiful picture of this kind of self-portrait, the art class, is that all of every human at the same time is a self-portrait of God. Male, female, all of us, all around the world. But when you think about self-portraits, if you have a hundred different artists drawing the same subject, each one is going to have its unique traits. And that's true of humans as well. You see, we're all self-portraits, not in that we just look like God. We're made to be like God and behave like God. And with our behavior and our activity to bring the goodness of God into the world. 
We bear the image of God. It's a multi-meaning phrase. It lies at the root of the Jewish and Christian understanding of what it means to be human. Like I said, we're self-portraits. That's what we are. We're here to let people know what God is like. And God has always intended to work in his world through his image-bearing creatures. So you're a saint. You're a holy one. Who is here at Christmas time? Just, you heard the Christmas message. In the Christmas message, I talked about the divine council, right? The divine council were kind of the original, um, we call them angels, but they're original divine beings that are not humans, that um, were in, sub in submission to God and that were there before the creation of the world. And they watched God uh, make us, but they were there. And then some of them fell. And we talked about that. And then they showed up at the Christmas story. In the Old Testament, the entire time in the Old Testament, the divine council, they're called the holy ones of God. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus comes and we receive the spirit of God, from then on, they're not called the holy ones of God. We are. We are the holy ones of God. We've been given the spirit of God. We are the redeemed humans. And like a temple, we are to be filled with the divine glory and therefore to be set in authority over the world as genuine humans and become this like thing that looks more and more like God. We're being glorified. It means that simultaneously we are being filled with God's own personal presence and power by the spirit and being enabled to exercise the vocation of genuine image bearing humans to the world. We have a decisive role to play. And that is to bring about the birth of new creation. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, that was the beginning of new creation. It was the beginning of humans being remade. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. And so when you follow Jesus, now you're born again, you're an offspring of Jesus. And what Jesus does is he starts to make the world new. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, behold, I'm making all things new. Humans, saints, holy ones, our space in the world is to move forward knowing I am in the family of God. I am a member of the family of God. You understand the church is not a place that you go to. The church is a family you belong to. You're in the family. You're a saint. It's who you are. The, the, the scriptures, Paul just just goes on and on and on about the reality of being a saint. Therefore, nothing can separate us from the love of God, height, nor depth, nor evil, nor good principalities. Like you are in the family of God. Now, I don't know about you. You, you might know this intrinsically because you're part of a family that you're proud of. The, the, uh, the, the Proverbs, they say that a good name is better than great riches. And so when you're part of a good name, Man, your name, it precedes you, right? Like you walk in and, oh, you're one of them. You're one of those, you're one of those people, right? You're them, you're part of that family. He's a so-and-so, she's a so-and-so. You and I are so-and-so of God. Now the world is not always gonna reinforce that. And you're gonna have an enemy that tries to tell you that it's not true. But the scriptures are clear. So if you forgot, here's your reminder. You're in the family of God. The Bible says that you are a child of God. The Bible says that you are a brother of Christ, that you're a sibling, which also says that because of that, in the future, you will receive the same inheritance. That means you're in the family. I don't know about you if you've ever met someone 
who's received a big inheritance from a family member. You might have a friend who's a peer and then Aunt Becky died and they get a million dollars. I have some friends that have their, you know, second uncle Jimmy died and gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I wasn't like, why don't I get some of that? Come on, why don't you share the wealth, bro? And, and, and I've had friends that they, they've received an inheritance. They didn't do anything for it, you know? Like they didn't even know the person. They just receive it. It's just because of who they are. It's their name. You see, for us to be humble, we have to know we are the holy ones of God. That means that God loves you. You're made in his image. And he made you originally with the purpose of bringing about beauty and goodness into the world. And he remade you again in Christ to start that project again. You have a tremendous responsibility to go into this world and make it beautiful all day, every day, any way you can. So that's the first thing. Occupy your space. What's in your mind when you're walking into that space? I'm a saint. Everybody say, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a holy one. So you gotta say, I'm a holy one. Say, I'm holy. I mean, if you, if you have Christ, you're holy. Holy moly, right? I mean, it's great. When this becomes real for you, it changes the way you occupy space. You walk in, you can say, I'm here today on behalf of my father. I'm not here to take up space that's not mine. I'm not here to shrink back. I'm here to do what God has done decided before the foundation of the world that I do, and it's important. That is humility. You're an ambassador. The second thing, which a lot of people start with, is this part. We're all sinners. Now, this is not our identity. This is a part of what has happened to us as a result of our own choices, falling short of the glory of God, to be a sinner. Uh, ironically, Yannick Sinner won the Australian Open last night at three in the morning. An Italian guy, his name is Sinner. I thought, well, he's never gonna forget that he's a sinner. Probably too much. And that, 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 that's a great illustration. You see, part of the problem, sometimes we are told first, you're a sinner. And that becomes our identity. It's like, oh, I'm... I'm worthless, I'm nothing. No, sinner is about your choice and mine to fall short of the glory of God, to not do what saints were designed to do. Anytime that you don't do what you were designed to do, you're falling short of the design. That's what it means to fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't just mean to do bad things. I talk about this all the time. Sinners are people who don't do the right thing, don't do what they were designed to do, don't take up the space appropriately. You see, God does not shame us. He doesn't walk through and say, and look at us and go, oh, you evil sinner. You're so gross and nasty and disgusting. You should hide. Get away from me. When the humans first fall in the, in the garden, God comes looking for them. Who told you you were a sinner? Who told you that you did? Who told you you were naked? Who, who, why are you, what, what, oh, God's disposition is a lot like what we talked about in the, par the parenting series, where when your kid 
does something wrong, we don't want to just be mad at them and yell. We want to say, oh, no. You did that? Man, now we have a job to do of, like, getting that together. See, God is not shaming us for when we fall short. He's sad. God's main disposition, you might say this, that he is disappointed because he knows what he made you for. And he knows that he has so much for you. You see, whenever we go down this road and we sin, we're just not doing what he designed us for. I mean, imagine if someone um, uh, did a big party for you and uh, you walked in and, and, and it was a party that had like four different spots right? And the first spot was just like a card. And then the second spot was like a card and like your favorite food. And then the third spot was like um, uh, your, your, your one cool technology thing that you wanted. And then the fourth spot was all your best friends and a DJ and some lights and a disco ball and a party. And imagine if you showed up to that and you walked in and you got to the first thing and it was just a card. And then you were like, that's awesome. And you stayed in that room and you never went. And maybe the person that put the party on for you just had to go out of town and they were on business in Italy or something. I don't know. But they put the party on for you and you stayed in that room the whole time. And then you just sat there and you went up to your room and you never went to the next room and you never got to experience all the other stuff that he had for you. Imagine he comes home, how was your party? He goes, my party, I, you, I had a card. It was nice, thanks for the card. What do you mean, your card? I, did you get, to, did you get the, the thing that you wanted? No. Did you, get, did you hang out with everybody and have the cake? And, no. Like, then he goes, oh no. Like I had this whole thing planned for you, for you to like experience and you missed out on it. That's what it means to be a sinner. You're missing out on what God has for you. Everything that God has for you is joy and excitement and, 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 and purpose and meaning, all the stuff that you want. That's what he has for you. I, it, there's suffering in there because that's, it takes suffering to do something that matters. So it's all part of it. He has that for you and he goes, oh, oh no. And so here's the thing about humility. The ultimate act of humility is repentance. You see, repentance is the idea that you realize that you missed the mark and then you turn around and you start actually moving towards the mark. That is the ultimate act of humility because it's this idea of you have to admit that you have a problem. You know, that's what they say about all types of addiction, all types of problems. The first step is you admitting you have a problem and then you taking the first step towards a new life and a new direction. That's, that is an ultimate act of humility. I mean, to say, I have gone off the path. I have done something I shouldn't do. I'm not gonna do it anymore. I'm gonna move this way. Wow, that's humble. Prideful people don't repent. They don't turn around. They don't change their ways. They keep on doing what they want to do. Humble people, as they progress and they submit to God, know I need to turn around. This has to stop. I'm falling short. I'm missing out. I'm a saint. 
The last thing, and this is the main thing. This is the, this is the whole thing. If, this is, if you don't remember anything else, if you don't remember the saint, the sinner, if you don't remember progress, if you don't remember submission, if you don't remember all those things that lead to this attitude of a mindset, if you remember this one thing and you move into every space, you occupy every space with this one thing, then you will move up the ladder of humility. You will become a more humble person. And that is, you're a servant. You're a servant. You were put here and are here now to move into a space and to improve it, to serve, to, 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 to walk in. And so this, I just want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever met somebody who comes into your space or the space that you're in and they, they go, how can I help? And they, they display it and thought, what an arrogant jerk, never. A person who walks in and isn't thinking, how bright and shiny can I be? How can I disappear and move away from any responsibility? But they walk in, their shoulders are back, and they say, here I am. What can I do? How can I help? Now that's like a great idiom, right? I mean, this is a great idea but this is everywhere. This is everywhere. This is like when we become humble, we don't stop what we're thinking about now and, and, and forget or not figure out how to translate it into the next moments of our life until we get back in this room. So you walk out of here and you're thinking, okay, guys, if you're married, like you walk out of the room here and immediately you think, what does my wife need from me for the rest of the day? And before you leave the building, hey, what do you want to do today? What do you, what, how can I, how, literally, not like that's your, just your attitude, you ask. Wives, same thing. What do you need today? What's on your radar today? What, what could I do? Or how could we, you know, whatever. You, you're just, you're thinking, I'm here to improve the situation. Then you walk out into the parking lot and you start thinking like, do you want me to drive? Do you want to drive? I mean, you're just always, what little, every, little things. All the time, you're just thinking, I want to show up and, and I want to be an agent of improving this space. When Jesus was getting really popular, his disciples liked that because they know what happens when someone who is a king becomes a king. You become rich, you become famous, you become popular. So the disciples actually asked him, can we sit at your right and left hand when you are in your kingdom? And Jesus gets mad at him. And he's like, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't, you don't even know what you're asking because basically he's gonna show an upside down kingdom and the way that this king serves is by dying on a cross and drinking the cup of crucifixion. So he's like, you don't wanna be on my right and left hand, buddy. You don't know what you're asking because to be with me is to do something different than what you think it is. That's what I as a king do, Jesus says. I as a king exhibit my royalty and my power in a different way than you are thinking. It's different. And then Jesus calls them together, Mark 10, 42. And he says, you know, that those who are regarded as the rulers around you lord it over them. 
They, they like to say, I'm in charge. They like to say, I'm the boss. They like to be the ones that have the power. They like to do all the dictating. They like to be the ones in the pretty seat. They like to be in the comfortable seat. They like to be revered and honored in society. That's, and then they tell everybody, this is who I am and that's who you are. That's what all the Gentiles do. That's what rulership is. And actually, you guys, what you just asked me, that's what you're asking for. A prominent societal spot. That's what you're asking for. You lord it over them. And then he looks at him and says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the humble person, Jesus is God in a bod. He's in the flesh. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He let go of the God card so that he could put you in his sights. He came in this space to serve us. That's the whole reason that he occupied this space. He occupied this space to serve. When we get this, it's the epitome of humility. Why are you occupying that space? This is, and this is not like some kind of thing where you, you know, it's not, this isn't verbiage or like wordsmithing. If you are the leader of an organization, it's the upside down triangle. You exist not for everyone to make your bottom line look fat and to get in the black and to, to get your bonuses and all that. You exist truly and you will be better at it if you don't get this to genuinely serve the people that are above you. And you bring in your direct reports and it's not go do this, go do this. You're for me. It's all for me. It's how can I Make your life better. How can I lead you well? How can we accomplish what we're here to accomplish today together? This is every area of our lives. This is what you do with your kids. It's what you do in your job. It's what you do with your friends. It doesn't have to be that you are some type of doormat. You, you know your space. You're an ambassador. I'm here. What can I do? I've got my badge on. I'm ready. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do what it takes. So when you pray in the light of this, pray to ask and for a task. Pray for what you can get from God. That's fine. But specifically, start to ask what you can do for God. God, what do you want me to do today? How can I serve? Show me what I can do to bring who you made me to be into the space that I'm occupying. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your beautiful picture of humility. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually profound and uh, I fall way short of any ability to verbalize and articulate the majesty with which you rule and serve. Creator of all, giver of life, and then the giver of your life. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And if it's all true, God, then um, we, we want to spend all of our days in line with you, walking humbly with you, asking you what, what we can do, how we can fill up the space, how we can live a humble life. 
help us to, to, to be ready to say yes. Help us to, to fill up this space as your portraits and bring you glory in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Very proud of our uh, Cambodia team. We have a team that is over in Cambodia right now, and they, uh, they left uh, early this week, and they're there serving children. They already did a teen camp, and they're doing a kids camp. And so next week, they're going to be back, and we're gonna share with you the impact of that trip, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. So we hope to see you then. And that, that's, that's humility.